0: Dishonored was released October 9th of 2012, developed by Arcane Studios and published by Bethesda Softworks, and it was met with lots of critical acclaim and was praised for not just its oil painting art style designed by the same dude that designed the art style around Half-Life 2, a guy named Victor Antonov, but also over its gameplay, its support for many varying play styles and abilities, and its general ability to give you a good time without taking its super seriously. Now, thanks to this replayability, the game has garnered a huge cult following and many people consider it to be one of the sleeper hits of last generation and with its sequel having come out, although to mixed reviews, some people are hoping that they get a follow-up that really doubles down on what the first game did well and what the second game failed to deliver in the same way. Now, this video aims to explore the game design within Dishonored, to explore what the game does well what it does badly, and the overall impact that it had on the gaming industry. Now, you can call this a critique, you can call this a review, you can call it whatever the heck you want. To be completely honest, I'm not quite sure what it is, but whatever it is, I hope that you enjoy it. Now, we're not going to be doing a whole lot of narrative analysis in this video, more than anything. I might occasionally mention a plot point here or there, but I'm not going to try to spoil anything. I'm not going to try to do anything like that, mainly just because I don't think that that's the point of a video like this, or at least it's not the point I'm trying to convey. We're going to be analyzing the gameplay design and how the gameplay interacts with itself and how it stands up to intense scrutiny and uh, potentially even nitpicking, such as I'm about to employ. So if you are looking for a narrative, Uh, exploration of Dishonored, it's not going to be in this video. I'm sorry. If you want to see that in a future video, leave that comment down below. Let me know and I'm more than willing to delve into it in detail. It's simply not going to be here. But on the other side, if you haven't played the game before and if you aren't looking for spoilers, you just want to know how the game works and how it functions, go ahead, keep watching. You're not going to find any major spoilers in this video. But with all of that said, let's just jump right on into it. Now when talking about a game like Dishonored, the very first thing we have to do is establish the vast array of different gameplay styles that the game supports and is built to encourage. While the game is marketed as a stealth action game, it actually supports many different playstyles in conjunction and often in opposition to this initial one. Now, part of this, I would argue, is because all stealth games are action games, but not all action games are stealth games, meaning that action games are not always designed with stealth and very careful approaches in mind, often they're designed for run-and-gun gameplay. However, a game like Dishonored, which is built for stealth gameplay, also can support a very aggressive playstyle, although it has the support and the foundation laid to encourage the player to play in a more careful and strategic way, should they choose to do so. And so naturally, the second playstyle would be a very aggressive playstyle, where a player goes in, running guns, does whatever the heck they wanna do, just to get the job done. Now, a third playstyle that I want to distinguish is a little bit unorthodox, and it's effectively just a tricky style of gameplay. This is where you're using a lot of the special abilities that are often overlooked in very creative ways, trying to find creative solutions to certain problems you'll encounter. And these are solutions that perhaps the developers never even took into consideration, but because they give you so many tools and the world's foundation has been laid so strongly, it can support these sorts of tricky playthroughs. A fourth would be a hybrid style where you mix these aforementioned three stealthy, aggressive, and tricky gameplay into some mixture that you feel is going to create the most fun or solve certain problems in as effective a manner as possible. And the fifth category would be where I believe most people are going to fall into, and that is simply doing what works, not actively pursuing a particular style of gameplay, but rather just playing the game and seeing how you can solve certain puzzles and get through certain missions using the tools at your disposal. Now, Because Dishonored was marketed and sold as a stealth game first and an action game second, my wager would be that the vast majority of players who sit down and don't set aside for themselves a dedicated playthrough style are going to simply go through the game with a stealthy perspective first and foremost, but occasionally getting aggressive and sloppy if they need to. Now, I don't know about you, but I personally fell into this latter group on my first playthrough. I wasn't trying to actively be as stealthy as I possibly could, I simply was trying to accomplish the missions as effectively and efficiently as I could, but if I managed to create a mess along the way, I didn't lose sleep over it. Now, personally, I don't believe that the game was just designed for a stealth playthrough, and if you play the game in any other way, you're going to have a bad time. Actually, I would argue that the game was built for every single one of these playstyles, and it's built to support these playstyles if it didn't support them it wouldn't have the option or allow you to do certain things For instance, if the game didn't want you to be able to go through missions in a sloppy way, they would make it so in the initial missions, when they're teaching you how to play the game, if you were to, for instance, leave a guard's dead body out in the middle of everywhere with your blood or your fingerprints or something around the scene, not disposing of the body, and then another guard discovers that body and can trace it back to you, they would put everything on lockdown, they would eventually be able to come and find your hideout, and it would just be game over, Red Rover. That's it, no more playing, you have to restart the mission and go through it the right way. But instead, they actually encourage you to make these mistakes, and I'll get to that in just a moment. Now this obviously begs the question, is it better to have one particular playstyle in mind or is it better to go through the game uh, just doing whatever you feel is the natural thing to do in the moment based on how you would respond to the situation given the tools that you have. And to this I would simply respond that I don't think there is a right way to play the game. I actually think the game is built for replayability. All told. The entirety of Dishonored takes about 11 hours to get through, from start to finish, and that's if you're playing fairly directly. So it stands to reason, Your Honor, that the game would be built with replayability in mind, encouraging you to go back and go through missions you've already done multiple, multiple times, which I will give you an example of right now. Early in the game, you go on a mission entitled The Golden Cat. And basically, in this mission, your goal is to get to the end of the stage through two or three areas and either capture or assassinate a couple of individuals who are causing major issues for the rebellion. Now this is simply the task that you are given. You can approach it in any way or manner that you see fit. They don't try to push you into anything. In fact, they even give this pop-up saying that there are many paths that you can take and that you should explore as many of them as you possibly can. And I don't know about you, but when I played through this, I finished the quest the first time around and then I went back and played through it several more times, trying to play as differently as I possibly could every time to see what I could get away with, and what would work, what wouldn't work, and what the developers had taken into consideration. And one of the best moments that you can possibly have in a game like Dishonored is when you think that you may be breaking the game because you've gotten to an area that you think you might not have been allowed to. The first time I got onto the roof of the Golden Cat, I thought that I had accessed some secret area when in reality, the developers had known that that was some place you could get up to if you were really, really good at using some of the powers that they give you, so much so that they put a guard up there just for quick pickings so that you can get around and head down straight to the balcony where one of your targets is. Making the mission an incredibly quick venture. Now, the Golden Cat is not a massive, massive mission. Sure, it's one of the larger ones, especially early in the game. But in the first area of the map, there's roughly four ways, by my count, to get through it. Th- four different attempts and pathways that you can take. There's usually about three through the second, depending on how you combine them and count them. And by my estimations, there's about 11 ways to get through the last area set in this aforementioned bathhouse. These different ways can include, but are not limited to going up through the roof, around the top of the building, and down onto the balcony, as I just described, or it could be going in through the front door and running and gunning, playing very aggressively and just wreaking havoc on your way up to assassinate an individual. Or it could even be a very, very delicate stealth path through a window above chandeliers, through the lower guts of the bathhouse, where you hear a couple of individuals talking about one of your targets, you steal a key into the room, you get in, you silently kill them, throw them over the balcony, and then escape without anybody knowing the better. There's many many different ways that you can approach this and as far as I can tell the way that the developer Arcane Studios actually designed these maps was not to path out certain objective paths that you should try to go on and then lead the player into those paths using certain skills and abilities as you often see in games that really try to hold your hand but rather what you see is a playground and they give you free reign over this area you can do whatever the heck you want to do and they give you a abilities that have some really cool and interesting consequences so that you can experiment with them and they encourage you to do so. For instance, if you kill a guard and you leave him out in the open, this can attract rats. And when rats come about, they cause all sorts of havoc. They can devour the body, eliminating the evidence. But they can also cause a scene attracting more guards to come in and more individuals. It can send people screaming and make a, a huge scene out of something that should have been very, very quiet and discreet. But if you know what you're doing, you're able to kill an individual, throw them off in the corner, let the rats eat them, and then you have a body disposed of and you can go about your business. Or if you want to flip it the other way, you can take the body, throw him out in a common area, let the rats come and devour him, making a scene, uh, drawing all of the attention away from the area you want to get to, at which point you can dash around, get to where you need to be, and go that way. Often you have the ability to possess rats and different animals, even at times you can possess people to go through certain areas and to sneak right past the guards, literally right in front of their faces. In the body of somebody else you have access to all sorts of different powers in addition to blink and possession which are the two I just described such as wind blast which allows you to blow wind almost like Fusro da throwing somebody way off the balcony insta killing them Uh, you can also unlock other abilities to kill enemies once they hit a wall using wind blast on the second tier or you can use bend time to actually freeze time if you have it on the second tier for roughly about eight real world seconds and anything you do any strikes that you deal during that time period are insta-kill so you can get very creative with how you approach certain situations and problems using these abilities and that's the nice thing is that everybody's going to upgrade and choose different abilities as they go through the game and to be honest most people are probably only going to have three or four that they use regularly all of the others are going to be used once or twice and kind of forgotten about and that's unfortunate but that's just the way it is when you really start to have fun is when you start to force yourself to use these powers and abilities that you haven't been using up to this point when you force yourself to go and possess a rat and try to explore and see what pathways there are if you can get into a room you didn't think you were able to get in before, and if that opens up all new possibilities and options for you, or to try freezing time and one-shotting all of the enemies and then running out the door, leaving everyone befuddled as to what actually just happened, or using wind blast to throw somebody off a balcony. And this is where the game really starts to get fun, to be perfectly honest. The story is nothing to write home about. It's just a typical revenge story uh, about people being double-crossed, and then triple-crossed, and then quadruple-crossed, and then you go about your business and you try to Save the kingdom and based on your actions you can get a good or bad ending depending on how you played. It's nothing remarkable, but it's good enough and it justifies the story and the actions that you are pursuing within the game itself. Now this brings me to the topic of chaos which is actually a huge gameplay mechanic that the game actually kind of passes over and leaves way deep deep down only for the truly hearty to explore and figure out and I actually think it's one of the cooler parts of the game even though it's not discussed very often. Basically what it does is it tracks the game's state based on your actions. And what that means effectively is that if you play in a very aggressive playstyle, as we described before, running and gunning, killing people, leaving them out in the open, not even trying to be discreet about what you're doing, it's going to cause a large amount of chaos. And what this is going to do is that it's going to give you certain feedback to make sure you know that you are making those choices and that the world is reacting to them. Now in my experimentation and testing usually what this means is that there's going to be higher populations of guards because they're going to realize something bad is going on some dude's running around killing tons of us so we're going to get a ton of more of us in certain areas to protect the important people that he's going after so usually it can make the game more difficult the more chaotically you play it's also going to increase rat populations AI at least as far as I've experimented seems to get more intelligent and difficult they're more and they're less forgiving they don't give up when looking for you as easily Um, and often it just seems to become more aggressive the the more chaotically you play they start to behave more chaotically and also you get dialogue changes within the guards specifically when they're discussing things with each other and they talk about how bad things have gotten and how things are getting just crazy it's it's actually pretty interesting all of the different things that they've taken into consideration But to be honest i don't think that this is a design issue i don't think this is encouraging players to play the game incorrectly because if they play the game quote unquote incorrectly and hyper aggressively they're going to get cool uh, effectual changes on the world i actually think it's very very good because it encourages the players that go through the game stealthily to go and play very chaotically getting out of their comfort zone doing something that they wouldn't normally do in order to see what the game has taken into consideration. And then the players who play very aggressively will get a response and they'll be like, oh, that was freaking awesome. I wonder if I play the quote unquote right way according to what the marketing is asking me to do. So I actually think it's, it's a sort of genius way of encouraging varying play styles, even though it only seems at face value to encourage a very chaotic play style. Now as for the game's difficulty spikes with regards to chaos specifically, it's not exactly clear whether or not this is true and I want to be fully transparent about this. This is just in my testing and my playing through of the game multiple times, I can guess that it looks as though the guards become more aggressive and start doing things I hadn't seen them do before after I play very very aggressively in previous missions. Now this may simply be a placebo effect, I may be looking for this to be the case. It might not actually be happening but at least it seems to be to me i wish that this were an empirical thing that i could test but ai aggression is something that often is even randomized based on the NPC that you're encountering. Usually it's a range of like seven to nine out of 10. And then as the aggression goes up or the difficulty goes up, that sliding scale goes up as well so that not every guard is incredibly observant. Some are a little ditzy, some are a little more observant. So it's really impossible for me to test without going into the game's code. But if you have access to that, if you know exactly what happens when chaos gets out of control, I'd love to hear about it down in the comment section below. Now assuming that my observations are correct and that the aggression does peak and improve and increase as you go through the game and play very very chaotically, I actually really think that this is a good design choice and it's effectively simply to punish players for playing in a hyper aggressive and, to be perfectly honest, sloppy manner. Now I'm just like everybody else, I'll be playing through a mission trying to do it as quote unquote correctly and stealthily as I possibly can. And then I'll run into a roadblock and I'll get super frustrated and I'll wanna throw the controller across the room. And my response to that is to take a deep breath, sit down, and then just wreak havoc, doing everything as bluntly as I can, rushing through it, playing sloppily, leaving all of the bodies out in the open, not giving a crap. And I eventually get through the mission and it's just fine, but I cause an unbelievable amount of chaos in my wake. Now in a real, living, breathing world, those actions would be punished in the sense that guards would increase, everything would be very, very responsible to what I had done. Everyone who had seen me running around would be able to report what I looked like. Posters would go up, people would be on the lookout, and they would be more likely to find me and catch me on the next roundabout. So it only makes sense. However, if I played through it very stealthily, nobody saw me, no one even had any idea anything was wrong until their boss just disappeared, his body's gone, nobody knows what happened to him. That is when you should get rewarded for playing the game quote unquote correctly playing the game the way that it seems though it was designed or at least the world is asking you to play it however it is a little weird that nobody in the game tries to push you to be hyper stealthy they just kind of say oh well you made a big mess oh that's too bad next time maybe be stealth that's kind of all they do they don't push you to be hyper hyper stealthy, which once again, I think reinforces the idea that the developer wants you to go through the game however you want, playing it in as creative a manner as you possibly can, even if that means that you cause a mess along the way. However, this of course begs the question, which way should you play on your first playthrough? It's understandable that you can do both if you want to after you finish the level, but which one should you pursue in your core game? Like in the, the canon of the game, should you pursue it stealthily or bluntly? Well, to be perfectly honest, I tend to think that stealth games are their most fun when they're more difficult. When you set the difficulty to its highest possible setting, when the guards are realistically observant and can see you when you peek around a corner, that's when I honestly have fun with them because it forces you to play the game that the, the narrative is asking you to play it so i would encourage you to try a stealthy run where you set the difficulty to the hardest you can possibly stand and you go through it as discreetly as you possibly can restarting a level if you cause a lot of chaos just going back and really trying it that's going to take this game from an 11 hour experience if you sprint through it to an easily 20 hour experience if you're really trying to go through it the right way. And so that's at least my wisdom I impart to you. However, I understand that some people are going to have fun just going through wreaking havoc. However, I think if you do that, you're going to be missing a lot of the interesting tool combinations and strategies that you can employ when you take a more creative stance to it. And so I suppose this would be to say that a a fair amount of role playing is going to serve you well in a game like Dishonored because if you approach it as Corvo, as an assassin trying to uh, enact revenge upon an evil regime that seized power and assassinated your boss, it's only understandable that you're going to have a better and more immersive experience. So I can heavily encourage you to do that However, if you want to play through the game the way I did the first time around and just do whatever feels right, kind of just having fun, doing whatever, you can also do that too. But I think you'll honestly have a much better experience if you sit down, commit to a certain style, and make it happen. Now let's talk about the fun stuff major issues within the game. And the first one I want to discuss is AI and how it impacts gameplay. Now the agreement that's deep down in every majorly difficult game is that whenever you are punished, whenever the character is caught, dies, gets shot, gets called out, whatever, it's because the character or the player made a mistake and they deserve the punishment that is enacted upon them. It's not unfair. The moment that the game becomes unfair, that the enemies have superhuman or supernatural abilities that are not given to the player, that's when things start to feel uh, more of a chore. They start to feel discouraging. It's not fun anymore. It's an uphill battle that is just treacherous. And unfortunately, I think that the AI within Dishonored starts to wade into this territory more often than I would have liked it to, especially on the hardest difficulty. And as to why this is, I can't really say for certain. It seems as though it's connected to chaos, which is usually how I justified it. Once I started playing very erratically and chaotically, it seemed as though the guards started behaving erratically, they would leave their posts, they wouldn't stay for regularized amounts of time, they would wander around into areas that I hadn't seen them go before, they started doing things that I couldn't account for which made it much less predictable and therefore much much harder which was good in a way but it started to feel more uh unfair than fair it didn't feel like a video game anymore it felt like I was dealing with a very ditzy ADD ridden uh guard as opposed to a highly trained militaristic individual who was standing at his post trying to keep an eye on the area in front of him. Now, the game launched on October 9th of 2012, so it isn't ancient, but it is going on six years old, and so it stands to reason, Your Honor, that there could be some sort of technological error or issue causing these errors to pop up uh, within my gameplay specifically. The only reason I'm bringing this up is because I actually encountered the same sort of thing in a playthrough of Fallout New Vegas which of course launched in 2010 where for whatever reason my modern day overclocked CPU was doing strange things to the in-game clock which was affecting the AI in very unpredictable ways causing erratic behavior certain lines to jump and skip all sorts of strange occurrences simply because the hardware I was using wasn't taken into consideration but when I downloaded an Unofficial patch it seemed to fix everything and everything went back to normal the AI started behaving rationally again Now I'm not gonna pretend to know why that's the case or why hardware could have such a major impact on AI and their behavior That's way above my pay grade if you have insight into that I would honestly be fascinated to read through it down below and I'll pin it like if you've got something interesting to say Let me know down below Um I honestly have no idea, but I thought that it's an interesting prospect, so I'd bring it up. Now, another major issue that I know is going to get some flack, but I do think I can back this up, is that some of the superpowers given to the player are highly useful and others are borderline overpowered, if not jumping way past overpowered and skipping into the next county. And then of course some of them are simply never used at all they are introduced maybe once or twice and then you uncue them from your favorites list and you go about your business the four that i'll point out and talk about for a moment are blink wind blast bend time and possession all of these i actually discussed earlier so i'm going to pull them back here now and i want to talk about how they're overpowered if not completely uh, unbalanced And perhaps most importantly, whether or not that actually means anything at all. Now, Blink is an ability that, no doubt, probably 100% of players are going to be using throughout the course of the game. This is the ability that allows you to dart around the map, jumping up certain walls and climb areas that you wouldn't have been able to get to. Uh, Otherwise, jump around and avoid guards uh, very, very quickly. And this is something that is so often used, and uh, honestly, I don't think you can get through the entire game without using it at least a few times. It seems as though it's something that should be its own thing, not necessarily just another power in line with like wind blast, bend time and possession because those are actually fairly rarely used, it's not used anywhere near as often as blink, so it almost seems as though blink should be its own ability, like its own button and it doesn't have a meter that fills or decreases, maybe a stamina meter that uh, deals with your sprinting and climbing ability and then it also deals with the blink, it just seems as though though blink is an ability that's used so often and is so important to the gameplay that it shouldn't necessarily be in the same tier as all of the other abilities and powers that are far, far less important and far less frequently used. Now, one of the interesting things about this is that on the higher difficulties, your mana meter is going to be a precious commodity and you're going to be very careful not to, to blink and not to use this ability when you shouldn't, you're going to become very, very conservative with when you choose to try to jump up walls and go through certain areas because you know that you might run out and you might be in trouble because you wouldn't be able to use any other abilities later on in the mission when you really need to be able to use them. On lower difficulties, in my testing, it's pretty much never a consideration. You can use Blink as often as you want. You're never going to run out of mana. You're going to be set. You can do whatever you want. You can bounce all around. You can fall out the building, climb up at 10 times, and you'll still be perfectly fine. Now, there's another big issue with Blink, but I'm going to save that for uh, another moment later on in the video and i'm going to get there in just a second but before i do that i want to move on to wind blast bend time and possession now these are three abilities that I would consider second tier especially to something like blink they're not going to be used by the majority of players these are um, abilities specifically when I refer to them I'm talking about the second tier level so these are when you choose to use charms to actually upgrade them and get the more powerful versions of the abilities which is when they actually start to get to the point where I would argue they're overpowered now wind blast tier 2 allows you to blow enemies and that sounded weird i just <laughs> I, I i just read that out loud that sounded weird i i take it back we're okay we're moving on Now Wind Blast on the second tier allows you to perform a move that blows enemies backwards and if you're on the second tier you can actually have an ability where it will kill opponents when they slam into objects like walls or doors or desks or whatever happens to be around them instantly meaning that if you have a group you can actually fling them into a wall and kill them. Now this is pretty cool to be perfectly honest I actually think It's awesome, Um, it does create a fair amount of noise, it does attract lots of attention, and of course it's going to kill these individuals, so you'll have to dispose of their bodies in some way, shape, or form, but it often can get a little OP, especially when you've made a couple mistakes within the aggressive playthroughs, but I think this is exactly the point of the ability. Windblast is not something you're going to be using if you're taking a very, very stealthy approach. This is an ability you use when you're trying to get out of a sticky situation. When there's a bunch of guards that have come and found you doing something nefarious, you blow them, and I know it sounds weird, I'm sticking with it, you blow them out of their shoes, they go flying backwards, and then you sprint away using blink, climbing up the building, and disappearing. Even if it doesn't kill them when they hit the wall, or maybe they don't hit a wall, they just get blasted back, that's fine but nonetheless it creates a distraction allows you to escape. That's what this ability is made for. And so, in a way, for a sort of stealth playthrough, it's either never going to be used or it's incredibly overpowered because it means that you can instantly kill three people and then dispose of their bodies. But for an aggressive playthrough, this is just something that's necessary. It allows you to escape uh, sticky situations instantly and get around uh, the corner, allowing you to hide and, and go about your business. And so, in that regard, for multiple playstyles, I think it's important to have something like this, but that doesn't change the fact that it's incredibly powerful for what it does. But more on all of that in just a second. Spend time on the second tier as I said it's going to freeze time for about eight seconds allowing you to get away with a lot of shady crap this is something that you're going to be able to use not just in stealthy playthroughs but aggressive playthroughs in those sticky situations you'll be able to freeze time get around the corner do whatever you need to do or in stealth playthroughs you can freeze time take your quick shot when nobody's moving and then dart around the corner and uh, escape and where you need to go now Ben time takes 60% of your mana bar, which actually makes it the most uh, Hungry or tied for the most hungry Single power that you can employ in the entirety of the game uh, And of even the the DLC that came to the game afterwards But that's not actually that much when you compare it to blink which uses 20% of your meter that's actually a fairly small amount, that's not a big deal. It's, it's especially for what it's offering, it freezes time for eight seconds so you can uh, get in some quick shots. To be perfectly honest, I think they should have upped this to 100% in order to use bend time or freeze time or wind blast or one of these more powerful uh, powers. I think they should have had a one hit drain your meter uh, requirement. So when you use it, it's going to drain it fully. You need to refill. Otherwise, that's going to make it much more strategic when you choose to employ it. But if it's 60% or lower, as all of these are, it allows a little more freedom, even on the more difficult settings it's going to allow you to do really whatever you want as long as you plan it out even just a little and lastly possession this one's just really really cool but on the second tier it allows you to possess humans even though you can't attack or kill or do anything like that um, while possessing an enemy or uh, a civilian or an NPC. This is actually really really cool and it allows you to bypass guards in creative ways and do all sorts of weird stuff in the same way where you possess a rat. You can go through all sorts of vents and explore certain areas that you feel as though should be off limits but you get access to them because you thought creatively. I actually think that this is really really cool and in stealth playthroughs it almost feels like cheating. It's so overpowered that you're able to get around these corners and do this crazy, crazy stuff that you feel as though shouldn't be this easy. But all of this brings us to the central point. And I I hope if you're typing away an angry comment down in the comment section below, you hear me out on this. Because while I do think that these are all overpowered abilities, I think that's okay. Now what I mean is that not all overpowered abilities are inherently bad and should be shed and cut from the herd. Quite. The contrary, actually, in a game like Dishonored, overpowered abilities are kind of the entire point because they're trying to give you supernatural abilities for you to explore and experiment. They want you to try Wind Blast bend time, possession, and high levels of blink with longer range. They want you to try and experiment with these and then if you get through the mission very easily using those to take them out and then go about and try the game without it. To go and try the mission using a different path, doing a different gameplay style, playing tricky if you chose to play conservatively the last time or aggressively the time before that. And that's the entire point. So while they are overpowered, certainly I don't think it's a bad thing especially because if you compare it to the antithesis, if you were to, quote unquote, balance these gameplay mechanics, what would that mean? Well, to balance something means that as you go through and you play using and enacting and employing those mechanics, the difficulty is going to remain constant. So as I use bend time or wind blast or blink or possession, Even on the hardest difficulty in the later missions, it's going to offer a similar experience as to when I was going through the first few missions using those same abilities on lower levels. In order to balance them, it makes everything feel as though it's fair. But that is not a correct assumption, especially with a game like Dishonored, to assume as though the purpose of the game is to give you a fair experience. In many ways, the experience is supposed to be unfair. Corvo's supposed to be way more powerful and have way cooler abilities than all of the enemies and schmucks that he's going up against and taking out. That's the entire point. That's the entire experience. And so they give you a ton of these overpowered abilities so that you can just double down and enjoy it. You can go and do things you wouldn't ever think possible before. And even within the game as you're exploring, as you're doing all of this crazy stuff, you can try and experiment with even crazier stuff. You can do even more wacky and absurd combos and mixing abilities and all of these different things. That's the point. So while I do think it's potentially an issue in terms of balancing, yes, it's it's not balanced correctly. I think it's balanced appropriately for the game so I think that's a small distinction to make but I actually think it has major consequences on the outlay of the whole game and I hope all of this has made sense it's kind of hard to describe and explain if if it's not clear let me know down below um, and I can try to rephrase it in a comment but at its core I think I would just say that while they are overpowered it's not a bad thing in fact i actually think that the overpowered abilities can help the gameplay experience or at least what they're trying to do with replayability to encourage you to go through the missions multiple times if you play through the game only once only going through it using the the path uh more traveled instead of the path less traveled it's going to harm your experience you're going to have less fun than the person who experiments with all of these overpowered abilities And that's kind of the point. If you play through the game multiple times, or at least missions multiple times, employing all different strategies every time, you're gonna have a great experience, but if you go through it only once, you're gonna be losing out. Now, another issue, which is an issue I've encountered in many games that try to encourage stealth, uh, it's simply the bow. It's a headshot machine, effectively. Like, it gets to the point where it feels, once again, almost overpowered, like you're cheating whenever you headshot. An enemy, it's just like, okay, well, there you go. And especially once you start mixing it with some of these other abilities, like bend time and those types of things, it does start to feel like you aren't supposed to be employing this tactic. Especially on higher difficulties, it seems as though there should be some sort of enemy variety that can withstand headshots with the bow specifically, or with other weapons and abilities and this is another issue enemy variety is very abysmal there's barely any variety there's two or three main classes of opponents And occasionally they'll change like the weapon that they're holding or the way that they're inspecting and doing different things but it's very very little and there's not a whole lot of variety in general what you can do with one opponent early in the game you can do with that opponent later on in the game near the end and so if they just mix this up even with one more enemy class with an enemy uh, that's just a regular NPC a regular guard but he's wearing a steel cage helmet that you can't shoot Uh, a bow and arrow at that, that would have been perfect. That would have solved many of these issues with the bow feeling overpowered. But once again, going back to the discussion that we just had, I don't think it's inherently bad to have an overpowered ability. I think often that can even add to it. It's just a matter of whether or not the player can restrain themselves to say, no, I'm not going to use the bow in this case. I'm going to try going through the mission this time around without using the bow whatsoever. Now there do seem to be methods and devices that the game developers set in place to try to encourage a variety of different weaponry to be employed as you go through the game. Things such as ammo and crafting and uh, finding mana and health uh, containers and potions, those types of things are in the game and for health and mana it is a major consideration, Uh, but Quite often, you can just buy more ammunition as you need it from the shop at the central hub of the game. It's only near the end, uh, in the last mission and a half or so, that you get cut off from the store that you've been going to in order to purchase more and more ammunition. Now, if you've played through the game at least once, you'll know that this was coming, so you're able to plan out and save and retain some of that ammunition ahead of time. But once again, it's only a real issue on the higher difficulties. On the lower difficulties, there's ammunition everywhere and it's not really a concern or an issue at all and so it really depends on how you're playing through the game what that initial difficulty level was set at but if it's anything other than hard it's really not an issue whatsoever now this brings me to the last and perhaps most important and significant issue with stealth games across the board and dishonored falls into this trap Exactly the same now remember that we were talking about Blink as an ability that allows you to sprint around the map getting from place a to place B very very quickly and It uses so little mana that quite often. It's not even really a consideration You don't really have to think about using it. You just kind of do and I said that this feeds into another major issue with the game, but that we talk about it a little bit later Now we're going to talk about that, and it is what I call the sprinting problem. In all games that encourage stealth, whether you're talking about Outlast, whether you're talking about uh, Metal Gear Solid, whether you're talking about Dishonored, one of the major issues that no developer seems to have really gotten over is the fact that when you get into trouble, you can simply sprint away, and if you get around the corner, The AI doesn't really know what to do, they're programmed to give up after a certain amount of time, after they round the corner, they don't see you, they walk in a line, they go back, they double check the area that just came from, then they give up and they go about their business and they kind of forget about you. There's no real way to deal with this and Blink feeds into this issue. Fairly significantly because it allows you to escape not just horizontally on a two dimensional plane, but vertically. You can jump up flights of stairs or into windows and onto balconies with the click of a mouse. And that is uh, an ability that the uh, opponents within the game don't seem to take into consideration, which I'm not saying they necessarily should. They, you know, of course, this is an uh, abnormal occurrence for an individual to be able to do this. But it is something that's very, very significant that it it often feels, once again, overpowered. It feels as though you shouldn't be able to get away from the guards as easily as you just did. And once you start sprinting through everywhere, you just start sprinting through levels, dodging and using a blink to get around opponents and, and enemies. It starts to feel cheap like, oh, I just bypassed an entire area of enemies without having to do anything and if you don't believe me just google right now or after the video a speed run of dishonored without using cheats and what you'll see is they're all using blink and sprinting around all of the enemies and if you know the right path to take uh, even just using intuition, you can get past everybody, they don't know what to do, they give up, and once you move into the next stage, the next area, the news doesn't travel over, which is a more technological issue more than anything else, considering that this was originally released for last generation consoles and PCs in 2012. It is an issue because the previous area can't report issues to the new area. So if you sprint through one section of the mission, you're fine and then you get to the next one it's like starting over from scratch with a new mission where nobody knows anything and the only recourse that the game has against you is in the chaos system when it's very very minimal and it's only after the mission has been completed and all of this basically mandates that the player take time and effort to limit and handicap the way that they play through the game which is an entirely different discussion, but also a very interesting one. There's basically two schools of thought. On the one hand, there's the school that believes that you shouldn't have to actively consider how you're playing the game or handicap yourself in order to have a good time. The game's developer should have taken those things into consideration and should be making adjustments so that you can play the game just naturally and organically and have a great time no matter what you're doing. They shouldn't have to uh, mandate the player to go through, figure out what they're doing a lot of, and then limiting that um, inherently. If the game is designed correctly and well, you would think that there would be certain safeguards put into place so that if the player is doing something a lot that they probably shouldn't be, they're punished for it. Or retroactively, they'll, they'll come to regret it, or have to adjust the way that they're doing it. A great example would be something like in a Batman: Arkham City, when you fight um, Doctor Freeze, he learns from each of the things that you're doing. So if you hide around a corner and then attack him, he learns from that and will start peeking around corners. If you're using a balcony uh, to come up, grab him, and slam him down, you can actually uh, do that once, but then he'll learn from that and then it adjusts. And that's a very micro example of it. But on the macro level, there should be some sort of mechanic implemented to prevent the player from doing the same thing over and over and over again spamming enemies who don't know any better and to be perfectly honest on this i'm kind of torn to be honest uh, dishonored was designed as far as i can tell with uh, the, the former in mind you are supposed to actively try and handicap yourself so that you have the experience that you want to have. So after you play through the game the first time, you have to go back through playing the game the way you think the developer might want you to, or trying to play more stealthily or aggressively to experiment with these different things. Oh, I was using the bow a lot and that was really, really easy. I need to go back through this again and not use the bow At all, And then I'm gonna try not to use blink anywhere near as often to see if that changes it and and if I have more fun with that and to be perfectly honest I'm not really sure if that's a bad thing. It's just a different way of designing a game. Some people are gonna hate it Absolutely. Some people are only gonna play through Dishonored and its missions once and then they're gonna check out and go about their day And they're gonna forget all about the game's gameplay mechanics and they're gonna move on and it was a meh experience at best Oh well But others are going to play through this game multiple, multiple times, perhaps even a dozen times, trying all different methods and experimenting with all different mechanics. And that's going to allow them to have an incredible experience, way beyond what that first player was able to accomplish. But it's because they were willing to handicap and experiment with themselves in the game world that was provided to them. So I don't think that it's necessarily a bad thing. I think it's just the way the game is. So if you haven't played Dishonored yet and you're going through this video for whatever reason trying to decipher whether or not it's worth your time if you're not the type of player that can sit down and experiment like that I don't recommend this game whatsoever I I think that you'd absolutely hate it I think you play through it once you'd be like eh, it's okay and then you'd be kind of pissed off that the game was so short and you'd go about your day if you can get it for two bucks five bucks even ten bucks go for it but other than that you probably wouldn't think it's worth your time. However, if you're the type of player that's willing to experiment, willing to create the experience you want to have, I think you should give it a shot, and I think you would honestly enjoy it. But that's about it. I'll stop talking your ear off now, and you can go spend time with your friends and family who I'm sure have much more interesting things to say than I. But if you did enjoy this video, and if you want to see more like it, please check out the merch store down below if that interests you, if you want to get something physical you can get your hands on, like a cool t-shirt or mug or if you want to support the channel through Patreon, get early access to videos like this one before anyone else on the planet gets access to it. Check that out, links and everything down in the description box below. I am a struggling college student, so anything you can provide really does help, and I truly do appreciate it. To every single one of you who currently donate and participate and uh, fund the videos that you see on this channel, and to everybody who's watching this video and is perhaps considering joining up as well. But with all of that said, Thank you for watching, honestly and truly, it really means more to me than anything. I love you all, and I'll see you in the next video. Peace out.